Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I want to let you know that we are hosting a live event coming up in January, Dealmaker Bootcamp. It's in Orlando. Go to dealmakerbootcampevent.com. Really, we've done this several times already. We called it Financial Freedom Summit. We renamed it because we really love the name Dealmaker. Okay, so the reason it's called a bootcamp is because during these two days, we simulate your first deal. That's right. So you're actually going to be going through a first deal from start to finish in small groups of five, six, seven people. And you're going to go through and see what it's like to do your first deal from beginning to end. So that's a Dealmaker Bootcamp coming up in Orlando, Florida, January 27, 29. Go to dealmakerbootcampevent.com and find out more and grab your tickets. So really excited about that. We haven't done that for over a year. And uh, through code and everything else, it's really hard to do that virtually. And this is going to be in person. So I'm really excited about that. I want to give a shout out to our podcast listener, James Goggin, who left us a review in iTunes. He says, I stumbled across your podcast and powered through about 15 episodes on multifamily investing while working. I've already learned a ton from that information above and beyond the research that I've been doing for four months. Thank you so much. Keep the great content. It's very helpful to someone new to multifamily like myself. Thank you, James, for that review. Always love to see those. I do want to shout out anytime we learn of someone doing a deal or first particular first deal, we want to shout them out. Scott Dilley did his first First deal. Uh, he had a mentor, Matt Bronner. It was an 84 unit in a 14 unit deal in Tucson, Arizona for 7.7 million and 1.1 million, respectively. One of the things about working with a full time mentor like Matt Bronner is that typically these people's first deals are much bigger than without a mentor. So if you can afford a mentor, check us out at dmikeablanc.com forward slash mentor. It's not for everyone. And if you can't afford it, that's fine. There's plenty of ways you can do that by, uh, by educating yourself and just hustling. But if you are interested in mentorship, that's a great way to go about it. And with that, let's bring in our co-host Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? You know, so early on in my days, especially as I was I was younger, it it you know, I really tended to I would use the word drift a little bit. I was probably in my, you know, early 30s until I started developing some kind of plan for my life. Like I would just kind of go from one thing. I would go to college. I would get a grad school degree. I would get a job. Then I would get another job and get a raise every time I do it. You know, following the American dream template, basically. And I, I didn't, I just didn't pay too much attention to it. So when I first, when I first went out on my own in 2005, you know, all I wanted was financial freedom. Like I read the purple book and I just went, I'm going to get myself a purple freedom. And I did like everything. I traded some options. I flipped a house. I took a seminar and I was all over the place. And as a result, I got into the restaurant business, as you know, where I lost my, my shirt in the restaurant business. And I flipped a bunch of houses. And it wasn't until like 10 years later that I actually figured out that apartment buildings was the way to go, not just for me, but many others. And I'm like, on it. And it's this jumping around thing. I think it's this general lack of clarity. I mean, how do you, you know, did you go something similar in your life as well? Or were you always like, yeah, let's do this apartment thing? I actually chased the dollar quite a bit, even starting back to when I was, you know, I, <laughs> I pivoted away from working for MTV, which was like, my passion was like, oh, I love the entertainment business. And so I actually got an internship with them. And it was very exciting for me. I went into New York City every day, went downtown Manhattan, walked into the, the you know the MTV building. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to give corporate America a shot, I want to go to the coolest company I could possibly think of and see if it's for me. And I went there and I was like, 
man, these people work like insane hours, like 80 hours a week. And they're so smart and they make like 30 K a year. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. So, you know, I pivoted into a sales job and I, and I was bad at that and I was really bad, but I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a little bit of time to get good at this. And then when I got good at it, I became passionate about it. Fast forward a little bit after I sold my first company and I had all this money like dumped on me. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to start a business and it's all about the dollar. And then I would chase the dollar. I started a tow truck company. I started a pokey company, like a pokey restaurant, like all these little things that ended up taking me nowhere uh, until I find, finally found my way back to where my uh, skill set was, which was back in multifamily. And now having more success than, than I've ever had. And so it was that focus, bringing back the focus that really served me well, going a mile deep and an inch wide versus, you know, a mile wide and inch deep. That's been the biggest part of, of me getting to where I'm at now. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the key mistakes that a lot of people make is they're just not they don't they don't take enough time to create clarity for themselves. There's they don't they don't and the reason is because we're so busy. I think fundamentally that's what it is. We're so busy. It's hard to carve out serious time to really think about what do we want in life, what do we maybe not want in life, and then there's also a mindset shift around chasing the dollar, like you said, and I certainly did that early on. And chasing a dollar is is uh is not very fulfilling. And 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 I found in, in talking to people that it's also not very successful. People who chase the dollar and that's their only motivation tend not to be very successful because it's not inspiring. And so therefore, how can we figure out how to maybe provide some value to people, right? So so provide some value to people, number one, and then the money will follow. Uh, number two. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons we t- we talked about uh, today with our guest, which is John Lee Dumas, uh, JLD. And I'm really excited about this this interview because he's been around for a, a long while. He's uh, He created his first daily podcast in 2012. First crazy person to do that. And since then, he's interviewed over 3,000 successful entrepreneurs, you know, including Tony Robbins, Gary Vanderchuk, uh, Lewis Howes, a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of other people it's called Entrepreneurs on Fire. Um, they've had over 100 million listeners and 3,000 reviews uh, since they started in 2012. And his goal, and I, I listen to the podcast because I always want to hear how other entrepreneurs, what makes them tick, how they're successful and established patterns. And my gosh, JLD, you know, in 3,000 interviews, established a lot of a lot of patterns. And so, in fact, he just wrote this book called The Common Path to Uncommon Success, Your 17-Step Roadmap to Financial Freedom and Fulfillment. So we have a lot of things in common, uh, JLD and, and, and us, because we're about financial freedom, we're about entrepreneurship. So we wanted to sit him down and really grill him on what makes entrepreneurs successful. So let's get right into the show with JLD. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. JLD, welcome to the show today. Pretty fired up to be here. Looking forward to it. Why am I not surprised that you mentioned that word <laughs> fired up? You know, it's uh that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. And uh, we we met three years ago in, in Puerto Rico where you now now reside, of course. And 
you know, you are one of the few crazy people that uh, that started a daily podcast. Yeah, you know, I got my hands full with a weekly podcast, and <laughs> and you have interviewed so many really cool, successful entrepreneurs. And in fact, you wrote a book. You know, that makes sense. Hey, you know, here's the secrets to you know success. So I want to kind of dive into that as well. And uh, but you know, you've had uh, some struggles along the way before you became this podcasting success, and you were on your own journey to financial freedom. But talk a little bit about your your struggles, maybe that you were dealing with before the podcast. Yeah, financial freedom was always the end goal, but it's a very elusive goal for most people, unfortunately. Even though it doesn't have to be, but you know, we just seem to love as human beings to self-sabotage, whether that be financially, emotionally, fill in the blank. We just kind of love that self-sabotage for some reason. I'm sure there's some deep-seated reasons for that. But the reality for me is, you know, I just grew up in a small town in Maine, went to college on an army scholarship. So I spent eight years after college as an officer in the US Army, where I didn't learn much, but I did learn what working hard was, and also how to be disciplined. Two things that most people never learn in their life, unfortunately. And so when I got out, I thought that those two skills were going to see me to the promised lands, and they did not. I spent six years struggling, dealing with PTSD from my 13-month tour of duty in Iraq, some of the things that I saw over there. And then just really having a string of not like outright failures, but just very far from successes when it came to my career choices, law school dropped out, corporate finance quit after a year during the recession, commercial real estates, other things that I tried, just nothing was working. And that was over the course of six years. So we're not talking about a short time frame. And it wasn't until I was 32 years old that I kind of did understand that quote by Albert Einstein, that you need to try not to become a person of success, but rather a person of value. And so I had very obviously been chasing success for 32 years and coming up very short. And I wasn't doing anything of value. Like I wasn't being a person of value in any way, shape or form. And again, that Albert Einstein quote kind of smacked me in the face and said, well, what if I actually do give this guy a chance? You know, he's supposedly a pretty smart guy. And just actually do something of value in this world. What could that be? And nothing came to me. But over the course of a couple of months of continuing to kind of spin that question in my mind, I realized that you know I found incredibly valuable podcast episodes that I was listening to. And I really understood the platform of podcasting. And I said, well, what's missing in this space? And the quick answer was, there isn't a show that's doing it seven days a week. They're all coming out one day a week. And that's all well and good, but what do I do the other six days waiting for the, the next episode? I need this daily knowledge, inspiration, tactic, strategy. So I launched Entrepreneurs on Fire back in 2012. And it was the first daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs. We've done over 3,000 episodes, over 100 million listens, over a million monthly listens, and over well over seven figures of revenue now for coming up on nine years in a row. That's interesting. I mean, I, I went through a similar experience where I was pursuing success until, of course, I had the exact opposite. I almost went bankrupt and lost my lost my house when I realized the same thing you did. I actually didn't know the quote, but it, the realization came to me nevertheless. It's like, you know, I'm just chasing the, the, the almighty dollar really for my own benefit, but what value am I actually providing? Like it sat there in my misery going, none. I'm just like trying to take care of myself and sucking at it. 
And that's when it shifted. And then everything else shifted from that point because I had nothing more really to lose. And so I just started providing value and also starting a, starting a podcast. And then everything kind of shifts. And, and I'm not the only person that had a similar experience. I think sometimes we, we chase success without, you know, actually becoming valuable first. I think that's a, that's a very important, it requires a lot of maturity to realize that. And, uh, and uh, now one thing that was about your journey, you mentioned commercial real estate, because obviously we associate commercial real estate with freedom, but there's different ways you can get involved in commercial real estate. I'd like to hear how you got involved in commercial real estate and how maybe for you, it was the exact opposite of freedom. Yeah. And it wasn't the exact opposite of freedom. It was just something that wasn't exciting or passionate to me. So basically, I had a family friends who was crushing in commercial real estate at what was one of the top two or three commercial brokerages in a very small city compared to big cities, Portland, Maine. But it, that was the biggest city in Maine. So it was kind of a big deal for that state. And they were looking for young brokers. And because of my kind of past success with different things that I'd done. Again, no great success, but with the relative success I'd achieved and as an officer in the army and different things I'd done, they were not only willing to bring me in as a junior broker, but give me a partnership track so that in five years, I would become a partner in, in this firm. And it was 2011. I was 30 years old. And I was like, you know what? It's time to just commit to something because that's kind of been one of my struggles. I haven't committed to anything. So Decided to go all in with it. And I did go all in for a year. And this is no excuse, but it is the reality that they do look back on that year in Maine commercial real estate, 2011, as like the driest year there was. Like, because, you know, it, it lagged a little bit the actual residential recession and just the financial recession. And at that point, just it was an absolute graveyard of things that were happening in the commercial real estate sector in Southern Maine specifically. And so that didn't help because if things were kind of bopping and moving and I was kind of kept busy, I might have, you know, found myself there for a couple of years before I even knew what happened. Cause you know, you kind of lock in one deal and you know, you're getting paid out in six months. And so you have like this whole runway and this pipeline that's happening. And you just kind of, and the next thing you're just like, whoa, I guess I've been here for a few years. So I guess I was kind of fortunate because, you know, I had really nothing in the pipeline, even after a year. I just closed a couple of really small deals. And even when I closed those deals, like I just felt no joy or excitement. And I'm like, is this the rest of my life? Like I actually do what I'm supposed to do, close a deal, make a commission check. And I could not be less excited about that. Is this the rest of my life? And that's when I said, this is not for me. And it was over a year at that point. So I'd given it a decent amount of time. And I said, it's time to start looking for other things. And that's what really had me dive in to self-development and reading and listening to the right books and podcasts and audiobooks, et cetera. So John, you you kind of like chased the dollar a little bit in the beginning, dipping your toe into commercial real estate. I'm curious when you got so you know, in any business and any kind of startup situation, there's that ramp up period, right? So it's like you have this kind of runway. When you went into podcasting, did you have any of that kind of feeling along the way or was it kind of right in the beginning you're like well this is it you're like what what did that ramp up period look look like for you and in, in that personal development and podcasting space i wasn't chasing the dollar a little bit i was chasing the dollar all the way that's the <laughs> only thing that i cared about that was my only focus and 
I got into commercial real estate because I thought, rightfully so, because a lot of people were and have been to this day for sure, making a lot of money in that in that business. Um, and it can be very, very profitable and, and, and a great... My brother-in-law, by the way, joined me at that firm the day that I joined. He actually had been a junior broker at another firm in Portland for a few years. So he had some experience, but he joined... We came as a package deal to that firm and he's now been with that firm for the last 11 years and doing fantastic. It's something he loves because guess what? We're all different. And what he loves about that job, I didn't love about that job or even like about that job. So I was chasing the almighty dollar and um, it just didn't work out for me because of the reasons aforementioned. But then when I shifted into podcasting, I had that revelation with that quote of becoming a person of value, trying to become a person of success. I knew that I was having to commit to long-term thinking. This was not going to be a quick play for a quick buck. This is going to be a long-term play for hopefully big financial rewards. I was still going after financial rewards, but I was willing to be patient. I was willing to put in the time, put in the reps, become a person of value for six to 18 months. In fact, I had 18 months as my outer limit of like, if I can't start generating some revenue by being a person of value for 18 months, then this isn't working for me either. Now, it took me about seven months to start getting some revenue coming in and really 13 months before like real revenue started coming in, like significant revenue. And it was just me going in eyes wide open this is a commitment. This isn't going to happen overnight. I'm planting seeds here that are going to bloom 8, 12, 24 months. Yeah. So it wasn't that you were lacking hustle with a commercial real estate because you clearly had hustle, but you got to find something that kind of lights you up, right? There's no, there's no question about that. Otherwise- here's, the problem. here's the problem is there's another person who's your competitor who's also working hard, but also has passion. And that person's going to win every single time. Because working hard and no passion, it's going to get you to here. Working hard and passion, it's going to break through the roof every single time. And that's my brother-in-law. He works really hard and he loves it. People call him the mayor of Portland, Maine, because he knows everybody. He knows all the real estate deals. He knows everything, the triple, triple square footage for every property. I mean, that's his thing. Actually, you guys should get him on the show, by the way. He'd be great. <laughs> Jenna, how do you find the passion? Sometimes you don't have that passion in the beginning. True. And you have to get through this certain period where you become an expert and then you kind of find a passion after that. It's a great I mean, question it's, because like, I think a lot of people are listening that are like, well, after two days, I'm not passionate about this thing. So I got to quit and start something else. And that's a huge mistake as well, because I was not passionate at all about podcasting when I started. I had never spoken into a microphone before. I had never been interviewed before. I had never facilitated a conversation before. I had never spoken from stage before. But I was willing to commit to something, give it a chance. I mean, I committed to commercial real estate. I gave it a chance for a year plus. And then at that point, I'm like, my passion did not bloom. My excitement did not bloom. Now it's time to look for something else. And the same thing with podcasting. But the difference was I got better quickly at podcasting because I was doing it every single day, every single day seven days a week. And all of a sudden I got good. And when I got good, I'm like, wow, not only is this like a really cool business, but I'm now really getting excited and passionate about this thing called podcasting. So podcasting came out of putting in the reps, putting in the hard work, actually becoming good and then crushing it because of that. Now, like, you know, like for, for me, 
like I used to hate soccer, but then my father put me in an all summer soccer camp. And I came back from that. I hated the camp. It was miserable training every day, foot skills, this, that, that, the other thing. Then I came back and I you know, went to high school practice one day and I was just better than everybody. And I'm like, how is this possible? It's because I was practicing every single day. They were practicing zero days. They were getting fatter. I was getting leaner and more athletic. And I was putting in the work. They weren't. I was getting better. They were getting worse because they were atrophying with their skills. And then I loved soccer because I was now the best person on the field. And I'm like, I love this sport because I was great at it comparatively. You got to give it a, a chance, right? So, and because you have to have a minimal skill set for it to become fun, like in anything. You learn to play piano and you're like, oh, I hate this because you suck at it, right? And then as you get a little better, it becomes a little more enjoyable. It's like that in a lot of, a lot of things, which is why you should never ask your kids what they want to do because they'll tell you they don't want to do anything and learn anything. <laughs> So I, I've listened to you over over the years, and obviously Entrepreneur on Fire, you're interviewing entrepreneurs, but then you wrote an interesting book called The Common Path to Uncommon Success, your 17-step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. And you've started talking more about financial freedom, which of course is our mission, right? That's the title of our, of our book as well. What happened here when you started talking about financial freedom? Why is that or has that started to become important to you? Because money cannot buy happiness. But I can tell you that you have a hard time not putting a big smile on your face, being able to do something like hand a blank check to a cause or a charity or to some philanthropic organization that you really believe in. So although money alone can't buy happiness, the utility of money can absolutely bring you joy. And the lack of money is really going to bring you stress anxiety, overwhelm, and unhappiness. So that's, to me, my personal experience, because I've been on both sides of the equation. You know, when I essentially was the second lieutenant in the uh, U.S. Army at 22 years old, I had no debt, thanks to my Army scholarship, but I had no money either. And, you know, there were some tough times there because I'm literally like wondering like, okay, I can't do anything because I have no money. And that's unfortunate. And that's not something that's a good feeling. Whereas, you know, having financial freedom gives you the freedom to really prioritize the things that bring you joy. And I'm not saying, you know, that's buying Lamborghinis and going on expensive vacations. I'm saying that's, you know, really taking uh, part meaningfully in activities that are, in your mind, making positive impact in this world and whatever that might be. So that's why financial freedom's always been really important to me because I know that's what I can do with the utility of money is going to have a major impact in this world. Whereas if I'm always in survival mode, living paycheck to paycheck, the only person I can take care of is myself. Because then if I don't focus only on myself to get that next morsel of food in my body, that next, you know, rent check paid so I don't, you know, die in the Chicago winter streets, you know, then I have nothing to, to focus on except for myself. But once I start having that buffer and that finished freedom, now I can look outwards and say, I'm good. I'm taken care of. Who can I help? What causes can I be a positive impact towards? And what investments can I make? Which, by the way, I think is equally, if not more important, because now your money that you've made is making money. And now you can have an exponential disproportionate impact five, 10, 20 years from now. So sometimes like 
like a lot of people say like, John, like, why do you like only earmark like a hundred thousand dollars making a number up, but like for philanthropic causes on an annual basis. And the, and the reason why I have a limit is because I also want to have a big number for investing every year as well. So that instead of writing a, a, a six figure check in 2021, you know, I can maybe be writing a nine figure check in 2050. One of the biggest problems with the, the purple book, of course, is that it, it puts a seed in your mind about this thing called passive income, financial independence. It doesn't really tell you how to get there. In fact, I slogged around for a decade trying to figure it out on my own until we finally figured it out and did all kinds of stuff. Most of it misguided. Now, what is kind of, do you, can you talk about in your book or, or just on your, on your show about different ways to do it? Or what do you advise a person does with that thought? Yeah, it's really interesting. My book is actually not for somebody who's looking to build passive income. I love passive income. I have passive income. I think it's a fantastic thing to have and to build in your business. That's not something that my book gets into. My book gets you literally from step one to step 17, which is getting to that financial freedom, which is you are making way more money than you're spending every single month, period, end of story. At that point, you do need to graduate to another book that's going to say, okay, now what are you going to do with that disposable income to create passive streams of income? And maybe that's something your book does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, I mean, yeah, absolutely right. Now, what, what do you invest in? Because, you know, you got to do something with your money. Oh, yeah. I'm invested in some index funds, some very little now. I used to be pretty heavy into that back in the day, but less and less so over time, which I'll get to the reason why in a second some gold, some silver. And I am massively invested in both cryptocurrency and then a sector of that called NFTs. So those are my two major investments right now. And not and, and, and actually, I, sh I should um, add, in addition to that, crypto NFTs within that as well. And then I actually angel invest in a lot of companies. I, I have 13 big equity stakes and startups as well. So that's a third of places that I put my money. And I'm always, again, looking for potential um, startup companies to invest in as well. So that's kind of where the majority of my money's flowing right now is into crypto, into NFTs, and into startups. So John, I got to ask you this question. So you've interviewed over 3,000 entrepreneurs. And what would you say, that's, that's a huge amount. It's so, such a knowledge dump. Uh, it's really incredible. What would you say is like your biggest takeaway or some of the top pieces of advice you've received from all that immense knowledge? Really three things is that you need to be focused every single day on productivity. And productivity is not what most people think it is. Like, oh, I was so busy today. Like I did all these things. But I'm like, well, what content did you produce that's benefiting your business. And of course, they're deer in the headlights because they don't have an answer. So being productive is producing the right content for your business. So that advice I've received countless times over the years and has really laser-focused me for my business and it's worked incredibly well. And then discipline is something that all successful entrepreneurs have and 99% of entrepreneurs lack. And discipline is really actually having a plan of action and being a disciple to executing that plan. And if you were to ask 99% of entrepreneurs in the given morning, what's your plan for the day? They'll pretty much say, oh, I'll figure it out. Like once I open my email up or once I, you know, 
look at my social media or once I do this or do that. It's like you don't have a plan. So if you're if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail, as we said in the army. And then the third thing would be focus. The successful entrepreneurs that I've interviewed over the years, myself included, have had laser focus. They have followed one course until success, not going after five different ideas all at once and doing all of them very at a very mediocre level. One thing better than anybody else. And if I could really sum my book up in one sentence, it would be become the number one solution to a real problem in this world. Yeah, I like that. I think I would almost add one other one to that, and that is clarity. Because, and you said you spent over a year, you know, hacking around being a broker, which you didn't, you know, didn't suit you very well. I I spent, you know, six years in the restaurant industry, and then and I flipped houses for three years, because I I wasn't clear about what the activity involved and where it would actually take me, like. Because I'm such a doer, I would just take action and just get something. And then, and then, of course, after a while, you're committed and you can't, it's hard to back out. So you're in this doing this thing instead of sitting down, like you said, in the morning or whatever and becoming clear, what do I really want? And, and what do I not want? I talk a little bit about, about that because I, that would have cut like years off my journey and maybe some time off yours. So I think the biggest lesson that I've really had to put into use in the past five years is that if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And it can really be that simple. Derek Sivers said that very wisely. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And by the way, for the first five years, I said yes to everything. And I'm glad I did because it gave me a lot of opportunities that I never would have even thought it could have given me. And I never would have been able to forecast. And that was fantastic. And I, I had nothing to do but hustle trying to grind and make my business work. But then at some point, you do reach, you reach a place in your business where there's way more opportunities coming at you than you could ever give the necessary time, energy, and bandwidth to. And at that point, you've got to really start being unbelievably hardcore about vetting opportunities as they come, because there are some fantastic ones and you will miss them if your plate is already full. So I like the concept that if you say yes to one thing, you're actually saying no to everything else you could have otherwise done that is now being taken up by that time, energy, and effort of that yes that you gave. So you're not saying no to one thing when you say yes to one thing. You're saying no to everything when you say yes to one single thing. And by the way, for the past really three years, you know, people love asking me the question, John, like what's next? Like what are you excited about next? Because they think that like if I share with them what's exciting me next, then maybe they'll have an idea and they can jump on that kind of train and kind of like, you know, see that in the future as well, which I'm happy to share, you know, if I had an answer for them. But my answer has always been, I don't know what's next, but I'm glad that I have that ability to say, I don't know what's next. Because to me, it's like I'm remaining in a coiled spring where if an opportunity comes, boom, I have the energy, time, and bandwidth to go all in on it. And that's kind of where I'm seeing crypto and NFTs playing right now, where I'm actually having the time, energy efforts to really make some pretty you know, big bets in these spaces, some of which are absolutely going to zero. But if I can get one or two of them to 100 to 500x, that's a game changer. You know, I can have a nine projects go to zero because, you know, a $100,000 investment 
can only go to zero if you're not stupid and playing with leverage in the crypto game. It can only go to zero, but that $100,000 can go to $50 million if you pick the right project and stay with it long enough. And that's something that I'm looking for. First off, this is hilarious because I was actually up late last night buying uh, NFTs. <laughs> give, me some uh, your, give me a couple of your favorite projects right now. Uh, so I uh, I like that Crypto Dads just, uh, their prices dropped from it. They just launched Crypto Moms or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I, I picked up a few of those. Uh, I think Mutant Punks. There's there's some different ones out there that I've just been researching. I'm in some Discord channels and stuff like that. I'll give you I'll give you uh, a hint on, <laughs> on a project I think is going to blow up. Give me I a hint. You. Give me a hint. I'm just going to give it to you. Actually, I don't, even, I don't even know why I said a hint. Like all NFTs could go to zero for sure, but that's the thing. It can only go to zero. It could 50x. And uh, the one that I'm really obsessed with right now is called Mutant Cats. Oh yeah, I know that one too. I'm obsessed with it because awesome. there's really cool things so, with the DAO. I, I, yeah, it's so, exci- it's so exciting in general. But uh, so we kind of look at a real estate like that also because we know the operation side. So it's like it's like if you were the creator of NFTs, think about that, you know, <laughs> flip around on that. We're kind of that in, in the real estate world, right? So we're, we can create these opportunities right. and we can see into them. We're like, oh, this one's going to blow up. And then they do. And so it's... It's exciting for us. And then we can bring these kind of opportunities to you know investors, right? Mm-hmm. That said, my question for you is, what is your selection process for these opportunities? Like you said, there's so many that come your way once you become successful and you have some disposable funds to, to put in places. How do you figure out which ones are the right ones? Yeah, it's honestly... You're never going to know 100% because if it was an obvious yes, then everybody would be in it and it would be priced at where it should be. And then it wouldn't be a valuable investment because it would have nowhere to go. So it's one of those things where like you've just got to over-research. You've got to just out-research 98% of people. You don't need to out-research 100%. You need to out-research 98% of people. Hopefully, you're finding the right mentors in the space that you can follow and, and learn from because they're spending a lot of time researching. So you can kind of compound your research by combining it with theirs. And then you've got to like really believe in the utility, meaning like, you know, this is a company that is providing real value to this world. And this goes back to the thesis and the theme of our conversation today. If this company is providing real value to this world, then it has a chance because people want value when they're spending money, when they're investing, when they're doing anything. They want value for them to their world. And when that happens and I have that conviction, then I make a sizable enough bet where it'll matter if it hits. Yeah, that's awesome. So anybody listening to watching this, uh, check out JLD's podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. It's awesome. And then also check out his book that we talked about here as well. So, John, oh, how can- way, I think uh, Gary should check out my my new podcast, NFTs on Fire. Oh, oh come wow. on, really? Is that right? No kidding. <clears throat> NFTs on I Fire. Love it. You you are excited about that. We'll have to have that another one talking just about NFTs. If is was what I'm hearing <laughs> right now. So that's that's pretty cool. But uh, I, I'm sensitive of your time, JLD. Really, really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, how can people connect with you? So for me, all the magic happens at eofire.com. The book we've been talking about is called The Common Path to Uncommon Success. And podcast is Entrepreneurs on Fire. 
and or NFTs on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Jaylee, it was awesome having you on the show today, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank you both. I wasn't surprised that JLD said that hard work was at the root of success because I observe that also. When I look at people who are successful, it doesn't matter what their background is or experience or how much money they have or who they know. It all comes down to how much hustle they have. And so that was no surprise. What was a little bit of a surprise was you also got to do something that you start to like. In other words, you can't hate it. In JLD's case, he really did not like the brokerage business, which is, you know, but on the other hand, his brother, he loved that, right? So you got to find something that you don't hate. And maybe over time, you actually grow to like. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's that other side of it where it's like, well, maybe I hate it now, but I might like it later. So there, it's, it is a weird situation that, you know, people sometimes find them, themselves in where you, you can grow to like things too, but it's figuring out, okay, if I, if I'm going to stick in this, do I see myself sticking in this for, you know, five plus years, is this going to be where, where I'm at? And I've had that same situation where I'm like, you know, I don't want to own a tow truck company for five years. I'm not passionate about that. And so am I chasing the dollar or am I actually going to want to stick with this and add value and provide it to the world? The other thing I, I love that he said is that you got to have discipline around it as, as well. And I heard this, uh, this incredible quote recently that stuck out to me. And it was, it was actually from Mike Tyson, where it's like doing what you hate to do, but acting like you love doing it. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of discipline in itself. And that's exactly right, right? Because I would say you don't have to love real estate. Like, I, I don't know if I even wake up or morning, morning and go, oh my gosh, I love me some real estate. What I like about it is I like the art of the deal. I like being an entrepreneur that every single situation presents you with a different problem that you solve as an entrepreneur. I love making something happen out of nothing. We're literally basically creating millions of dollars of value out of thin air. We're finding a deal. We don't have the money for it, so we're going to get it. We can't manage them, so we hire a manager. I can find deals and love spreadsheets, but I'm kind of an introvert, so I'm going to go find someone who's an extrovert to help me raise capital. Therefore, why don't I don't have to I love real estate per se? I can do that thing that I love. So if I love numbers and spreadsheets, my gosh, I'm going to be analyzing deals and making offers, right? So that's why I think multi, the syndication attracts so many people because they have the ability to do what they love and good at. Honestly, there's endless opportunities, whether you maybe you like operations and property management, uh, maybe. Your thing is just digging into spreadsheets. You know, maybe it's managing construction. There's there's something for everybody in this industry, and I've started to love every single aspect of it. I've been in it long enough, going on you know, passing ten years now, where I understand enough of each side to be dangerous. And I can tell you, there's fun in every single sector of it. But starting out, someone can figure out one area, really make it their passion, and excel at it. And because we have such a partnership inclined industry and business, you can figure out someone that does the other side better and get together with them and make magic happen. Yeah. So really get, be clear about your strengths and what you love to do, right? That's what Michael Hyatt calls a desire zone. You want to spend as much time in that. And, you know, and JLD discovered that, man, he loves the idea of podcasting. He loves talking to people. He also liked the idea of becoming a person of value, which I thought was, was very, very interesting because I certainly chased the, the, the dollar and really didn't think anything about adding uh, value to people as well. So I love that. I love that as well. And, you know, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I do like that. We use that filter uh, quite often. Is that a hell yes? Uh, then it's a no, you know?
It simplifies life. <laughs> Dude, I, I can't even tell you how much uh, I resonate with that. But I know, and it's like one of those things you do, but bringing it out into word form. Now you're like, oh, I can pay attention to that more. Hey, is this is this a hell yes? If not, let's let's move on from that. Yeah, I really enjoyed everything that he had to say, you know, about being able to give back to the world by investing into things as well, which I think was was super powerful. So it's like investing in a real estate deal. Well, that's going to give you more money back in your pocket to actually go out and add more value to the world in your own way. Right. And you can certainly invest in uh, crazy Ninja Turtle NFTs or you can invest in multifamily syndications, which, which of course, we um, recommend. Therefore, if you're interested in that, check us out. We're at nighthawkequity.com. Uh, go there and click the join button. You can uh, fill out a quick form and schedule a call with us. We'd love to tell you about some upcoming uh, multifamily syndication opportunities uh, that create cash flow, build long-term wealth, and give you tax advantages as well. So that's nighthawkequity.com. Thanks, guys, for listening. Hope you were inspired by today's episode. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.